I want you to turn to Mark chapter 4. But today I want you to look at something as you're turning there. I just Before we get into the message, it's interesting how things are falling today. And it's a different day. Can you feel that? It's just there's something different about it. And, um, you know, Stephen at the end talking about repent, that segues great with the message um, because there's a point that I'll bring up. But one of the things that I want you to see is I want you to look around today as you right now, just look at this place. I mean, just look at it. It's beautiful. This is a beautiful place, a beautiful building. As you go out, I just, I stepped out, you know, back and uh, I was looking out that back door and there's the leaves, the fall leaves on the ground out there. Look out the back door and look at the land that God has given us. Look at the buildings. As you go to your car today, look back at the building and look at it. And, you know, when you get a chance, walk through the children's section. And we have a fellowship hall that many of you might not have seen yet in operation, but you will. (laughs) Glory to God. Those pews are going away. Amen. And we'll be able to have meals and fellowship and do what we're called to do. Advance the kingdom of God. This does not come lightly. This doesn't just happen. I can tell you from eight years of it doesn't come lightly. I remember sitting on the pew one time and watching a service and up on the service they had, you know, mic stands and cords and I think I and a music stand. And I remember sitting on the pew and saying, oh, Lord, to have some of that equipment. Because we didn't have it. Everything we owned fit under a table about two times this size. Everything we owned was fit in a, would fit in a box about that big. This stuff doesn't come lightly. The price of our freedom, it doesn't come lightly. The price of our victory, it didn't come lightly. And we're called not to just go and perform what the world has taught us is life. But to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added to us. But our first priority is the kingdom and his righteousness. It's not the beach house. It's not retirement. It's not, you know, the person to marry. It's not, you know... It's not your kids. It's not grandkids. That's not seek first. Seek first is Jesus. His kingdom and his righteousness and all that stuff will be added to you, but it'll be added in the right way. The right way. Seek first. And I told you to turn to Mark and the parable of the sower, Mark chapter four and verse 14 and 15. This is not the message. This is just extra. But I believe that you're going to have this hit you. The question is, what are we doing with what we've been given? Because to whom much has been given, much is required. This is much. Is it all that he will ever give us? No. But it is much. It's much more than we started out with. In 2009... We started with a lot of faith. 
and about 10 people in a house, no building of our own, no staff, no salary, just a heart to serve and love Jesus. I remember looking at buildings like this as I would pass them and go, oh God, what could I do if I had a building like that? What could we do? Please, Lord, give us something like that to use as a tool. And now look. Now look at it. What are we going to do with it? What are we going to let come in the way of doing what we're called to do? We're not going to let anything. We're going to go after him with everything. This is a body. This is a body. Matter of fact, right now, just in a, in a move of, I want you to gather your stuff, especially if you're on the front two or three rows, sit still. But if you're beyond that, I want, us, I want you to pack out every seat in the first three, four, five rows. So if you're in the back, I want you to come. I want you to see yourself as a body. Join, I mean, get close to somebody you don't know. <laughs> Fill up these front rows. So often the devil comes and what he tries to do, he tries to keep the space between us. He tries to keep the space between us. There's two seats right here on the front for bold people. Come on, Kristen. <laughs> Come on, Kristen, Nathan. Kristen, right here. Nathan, right there. Amen. I will point. Amen. You might turn as red as William's jacket, but it'd only be for a second. Amen. There you go. Amen. 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 Good to see you. That looks good. That looks good. Uh, Johnny and Will, y'all come here and come on up here. Bring y'all up here. There you go. Jeremy, you bring your... There you go. Good. Priscilla and Montrose, y'all move on up one. Get close. David, there's one. There you go. Awesome. Look at that. Man, now we're talking. Sometimes we, you know, when Moses and Aaron and her were up there and they were about to win the battle. Thank you for, you know, listening to me. That's good that you listen to your leader. Glory to God. When they were winning the battle and he was holding the, the rod of God, the staff up, right? Sometimes there's physical things that we do that helps win the spiritual battle. Moses was standing there and as his arms got weak, his arms fell down. And in that moment, they started to lose the battle. And so Aaron and Hur came up and they lifted his arms. and They got two other guys to help him keep his arms up, keep that staff up. You know, the staff represents the word. Keep the word of God high in your life and you'll win. And they took a rock. It sounds real spiritual, right? They took a rock and they put it under his behonkus, under his behind. And it sounds real spiritual, but that rock helps support that physical item helps support that spiritual thing. That spiritual victory. 
And sometimes there's little things that you just do that they don't make any sense. You don't want to do it. It's out of your comfort zone. But all of a sudden you come together like this and you feel more like a body, more like family. Like I'm, I'm not, a, I don't want the space. We're, we're together in this thing. Amen. The word that we're talking about this morning is what do you do when all hell breaks loose? What you do is you come together is one of the things. You start, to, you start to understand, I'm not in this thing alone. Amen? I'm not in it alone. But I want to read you this because this is very important. Have we moved in 2017 into some things that are stronger than they've ever been before? Yes. Have we, have we blown through some ceilings and we're walking in some new levels? Absolutely. Yes, we have. But I want to show you this. This is in verse 14. The sower sows the word. Jesus is explaining the parable of the sower. The sower sows the word. And the word, you know, it, it represents the word of God, the Bible. It represents truth. But also it represents everything that God would promise to you. Every good thing that he would promise to you. He's done some good things in our lives. I want to show you a way of the enemy this morning. And this, like I said, it's not really in the message, but it's something that I think you need to hear this morning. As we were finishing up during the offering, I just really felt like I heard this verse spoken by the Holy Spirit to give to you today. These are the ones beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. This is a way of the devil. He constantly comes and immediately tries to see, to steal what's been sown. He immediately tries to come against the good progression. The forward movement. He tries to come against that. He doesn't let it lie. This is, you know, this is not holding the devil up. He has no power. It's just a fact that you need to recognize that he will immediately, according to the word, he immediately comes to steal. It's his way. How does he do that? He attacks you. He attacks your relationships. He attacks all kinds of things. But he immediately comes to steal. Now, if we walk the way that we're supposed to walk, none of his attacks will have any effect that are lasting on us. But so many times we don't walk that way. We accept it. We, we get upset at other people. We, we don't look at the things that we have and honor it and esteem it. He comes immediately to steal. A few weeks ago, you know, if you're in my family, you get talked about So, um, in messages. Sorry about that. Forgive me. And so a few weeks ago, uh, we were with uh, Teddy Shuttlesworth Jr. over at uh, Glean and Mission. And Abigail and Rachel both got a word that night. And it was along with all the youth was that it was to be easy. Yep. Right? We had no more even stopped the service. I mean, before the service even stopped and on the way home and both of them, that word was attacked. And all of a sudden they're both basically different situations, different scenarios, but both of them within the uh, within 24 hours. This is hard. And what had the devil done? He had come immediately to steal the word. I guess this does flow with the message. 
He had come immediately to steal that. Come immediately. You have to recognize that he comes immediately to steal what's going forward. And what I was going to, the reason I, I really got a little irritated this week, uh, not with y'all, but just with, with the devil. I was like, oh, we're going to preach it this, this weekend. Here it comes. And I knew what it was all week. I'd just been meditating on it. Why? Because I've seen breakthrough like over breakthrough, over breakthrough in all of your lives this year. It's amazing the growth that people have had. It's amazing what God is doing. It's awesome. It is so awesome. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, we're going after God. We're, we're putting him first. And then it's like all hell breaks loose. I mean this and then that and then this and then that. And I really felt at the beginning of the week, the Lord said, you need to preach on what, what to do when all hell breaks loose. What to do when all hell breaks loose. You know, it's like we have this idea that if we'll just choose God, then everything will be hunky-dory. Everything will just work out. It's not necessarily the way it works. If you just think about Jesus, I mean, Jesus did everything right. And yet still he found himself a couple of times in the middle of the ocean with life threatening storms all around him. And yet he did everything right. You see Paul also in the middle of an ocean going around for weeks and weeks in this ravaged storm. I mean, this savage and ravaging storm. And they're just circling and circling until it gets to the point where everybody in the boat, it says all hope was lost. All hope. And, and the devil, what he had done, and we talked about a couple of years ago, there's hope. And, and what the devil does is he comes and he grates like a cheese grater. He grates on your hope until you give up. And that's this ploy. He's trying to get you to give up the victory that you already have. Then even Paul, it's like they get saved from the storm. He gets out, he's picking up the sticks and here comes this viper that bites him. You know, so I'm thinking Paul's doing pretty good. You know, I think, I think, you know, he wrote. You know, most of the New Testament, I think he's probably an all right guy. I know Jesus was. And yet they still face the storms of life. They still face times where it looks like all hell's breaking loose. And the first thing that I would like, you know, to tell you and is, is that and just hear this. And most of the time when it feels like all hell's breaking loose, the devil is trying to get you to think of it higher than it actually is. Most every time where we've thought that all hell's breaking loose, if you go five years down the road and then look back at that period of time, you're like, what was I thinking? But in that moment, if somebody had told you, no, it's not that bad, you'd have been like, come here, let me punch you in you're not that bad, right? That's the way we feel in the moment. Because in the moment, he's trying to highlight every emotional thing in our life. He's trying to deceive us into thinking that this thing is horrible. It's terrible, right? And he's trying to keep the pressure on us. And just, you know, how many of you in the last month, it seems like at least once all hell's been breaking loose? Lift your hand. If it looks like in the last month, all hell's been breaking loose. Now, hold, keep them up, hold them up and look around. It's not just you. It's not just you. 
So what do we need to learn by that? Well, the first thing is he wants us to think it's just us and you don't understand. And yet you have all these people that feels like all hell's broken loose. And the first thing that you want to see is, number one, it's probably not as bad as what you think. Even the word says, you know, this, these little things that you're dealing with in this vapor of time, right? This light affliction. But in those moments, it doesn't feel like light affliction. Praise God, we don't live by what we feel. Amen. Praise God, we don't live by what we feel. Because if we live by what we feel, we'd be sunk in a hurry. I mean, praise God, we get to live by the truth of God's word. Remember all the good things that the Lord does. The devil comes immediately to steal it. He comes immediately to steal it. He's trying to get you off of your momentum. He's trying to get you off of your victory. He's trying to get you off of the power and authority that you have in Jesus Christ right now. If you're born again, you have those things right now. He's trying to get you to forget it. His plan is, if I can keep the pressure on, then eventually they'll crack. And so he just keeps trying to do it. Let me, let me show you something. Um, I need a fighter. We got no fighters. <laughs> Amen. Come here, George. Hold on. I'll... All right. Now watch. Stand right here. All right. So I believe what you see is a victorious man of God in all power and authority who has the victory and win and wins. Now, does he have everything together? No. Do I have everything together? No. No. But here you see somebody who does know that God wants them to have the victory and he's been having a pretty good year. Amen. Is that right? Yes, sir. All right. Now, but here's what the devil does. All right. Let's see. David, come here. And this is what I want you to do. I just want you to act like a burden. Like a burden. And you don't have to crush. You just have to keep constant pressure. Okay. And so the devil sends. The devil sends pressure. Now, can you feel that? Okay. Is it affecting you yet? A little bit. Yeah, that's good. Good that you say that. See, a lot of times we're not honest with that stuff. We, it's good to recognize what we feel. It's just not good to live by what we feel. Yeah. Amen. All right, Nathan, come here. Pressure number two. You add some pressure there. Add some pressure now. Down pressure. There you go. Paul. Add some pressure. How does it feel now? It's heavier. Heavier, right? You're still standing, but you feel the load. Chris? At some point, 
We're going to see how manly he thinks he is. Uh, at some point... Pastor, I need prayer. <laughs> that's a good word. It's a good word. Will, Johnny, you can take a knee whenever. Is it significant, mm-hmm. Justin? <laughs> Now see, it's one thing, he knows that I'm not going to let him go through too much, because it's me. (laughs) But at the same time, we've only been going for what, about a minute and a half? So the devil just tries, he knows that over a period of time, it doesn't matter, even if he can stand now, if he'll just keep, if they'll just keep the pressure on, what's going to happen? He's going to buckle. He's going to buckle. Is that right? You won't be able to. It doesn't matter. You just will not be able to withstand that. So this is what the devil does. He just keeps applying pressure and applying pressure. And he tries to pile on. You know, it's a lot, a lot of times he, he tries to do it. And see, we'll just, we'll just stand there. We'll just stand there. Let in the attacks come. And this is the problem. A lot of times we want to show the devil how strong we are so we don't employ the church, which is every joint supplies. You know, all he's got to do is ask for a little bit of prayer and then the church can come in and start to lift some of this burden off of them. You see, go ahead, go back. You see, and all of a sudden you got more than just one person. But a lot of times we want to show how strong we are. And that's what the devil does. He just won't keep the pressure on. He just wants to get one person separated into an island, which is why when I ask how many people have felt like all hell's breaking loose, you lift your hands. But were you thinking about anybody else having all hell breaking loose or has it just been you when it's you under the pressure? It's just us a lot of times. That's all we're thinking about. We're not thinking about other people. And that's part of the problem. You still feeling it? (laughs) Y'all aren't applying enough pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Have you? (laughs) They're playing devil's advocate now. Okay. All right, but what about when a believer starts to recognize, you know what, all this pressure, Jesus took it all on him. I don't have to take this anymore. And he starts to stand up and understand who he is in Christ. No, you're illegal to be there. And he stands up in his authority and says, you're illegal to be there. You don't have any right to be there. It doesn't matter. No. You're not, it's, it's already been paid for in Jesus Christ. And see, it starts to get broken because he knows who he is. And the word goes into effect and it starts loosening the bonds. Same. And, and why? Because the victory and the battle's already won. Feel better? Amen. 
That's what the devil tries to do. He tries to pile on and he doesn't choose opportune times to do it. He chooses the moments when a lot of times we're the weakest or sometimes when we just had the biggest victory, you know, and our heads real big because we just won. It was us. No, it was Jesus through you. But we, we like, you know, it's just the truth. He tries to come and immediately steal the seed of the word. He tries to come when we are at our weakest. He tries when we think we're the strongest. See, we're actually our weakest when we think we're the strongest without Jesus. That's what pride, that's where pride takes us. But when we start to understand that these victories are already won, we start to realize that those pressures have no place on us. You remember Jesus in the boat. What's happening to the disciples? Can you see the disciples? They're under the pressure of the fear of death. Where's Jesus? What's the difference between the two? They're both in the same exact physical situation, but one of them, one group is fearing for their life and the other one is at perfect peace. One of them knows what they're called to do and the others don't. The others are responding to their feelings and they're flipping out. And yet Jesus knows that I don't respond to my feelings. I respond to the word of God. I respond to what I'm sent to do. Peace. Be still. But here's the thing. When you, I don't know about you, but I'm not Jesus. And you're like, oh, I didn't think you were going that direction, Pastor. <laughs> I have moments where I've felt all that pressure just like you have. I have moments where I've opened up the door for those things to come in and put the pressure on me. And, and because we're not perfect, there's times where we allow the things that should never be there. There's times where we open up the door for those things. And all of a sudden we find ourselves in a situation like this. It doesn't mean that we can't win. It just means that for whatever reason, be it we just have an enemy or I've opened up the doors or whatever. All of a sudden we find ourselves and it feels like all hell's breaking loose. Now, should it be like that? It definitely should not stay like that. But every now and then I found myself in that situation. Paul found himself in that situation. Jesus found himself in that situation. Now, our job, we have to understand, is to change that situation. The first thing we need to understand is this situation changes because of Christ in me. Because of Jesus in me, this situation must change. It has no choice. Understanding that and knowing that is a key. Let's turn to Luke chapter 13 and verse 1. I want to show you something. It was where Stephen said earlier. He said, repent is change your mind. It's really interesting because it goes right along with this. A lot of people, they don't understand these verses. I'm going to take you to a couple of verses that I think scholars debate over. And, and it's funny that they debate over the very thing that Jesus was saying, don't debate over. And then this is one of them. It, Luke 13 and verse 1. 
It says, now on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. In other words, what, what had happened was they were in worshiping and Pilate killed them and their blood ran and mixed with the blood of their sacrifices to the other idols. Horrible deaths, horrible thing to happen, right? Horrible thing to happen. And yet they were worshiping God is the way it looks. And it says this, and Jesus said to him, to them, do you suppose that these Galileans that, that were killed were greater sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? In other words, who was worse? Did, did these guys that got killed while they were worshiping, did they sin more? That would be like us asking the question today. Did the church in Sutherland Springs, you know, that just had the mass shooting, did they, were they horrible sinners? I mean, was there horrible sin going around? That, that's like us asking that question. And then he says, and this one where they're working on the tower and the tower fell over and killed all of them. Were they worse sinners? I tell you, but no, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. It's an interesting thing. And most people will take that right there and say, you better repent from your sins. You better change. You better change this. But that's not, I believe, what he was actually saying. Not quite like that. I think he was saying, you need to change your way of looking at things. And you'll see what I'm talking about in just a second. So back in the chapter before this, he starts to tell about, don't be anxious. Don't be fearful. He starts to talk about all these different concepts of the law. If you uphold the law, then you'll be holy was their thinking and you'll be protected and everything. And then he comes here and he says, look, he says, you're you're trying to put the blame on something. You're trying to figure out who was worse. You're trying to figure out the why. You're trying to figure out uh, what what was the worst thing? What happened? What? Why did this happen? What's going on? I don't understand. And Jesus says, look, unless you repent, let me put it this way. Unless you change the way that you think, you'll find yourself in hell too. In other words, you're still trying to go about it. If I do enough good, I'll be all right with God. And that has nothing to do about it. That's what Jesus was saying. You've got to change your way of thinking. You've got to understand that the time, another thing he said in the chapter before was, you recognize when it's time to plant seed, you recognize the, the signs of the season, but you don't recognize that your king is standing in front of you now. You don't recognize that the Messiah is here now. You keep looking for a kingdom and the kingdom is within you. The time has changed. Recognize it. Repent means change your way of thinking right there. Stop thinking in terms of the law and start thinking in terms of my Savior has arrived. 
Stop thinking in terms of all the stuff that's happening to me and start thinking that Jesus in me is bigger than it all. Jesus in me is bigger than it all. Let's go to John chapter 9. And verse 1. John chapter 9 and verse 1. It says, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Which is a crazy question in the first place. It's like the baby who has no moral understanding whatsoever. Oh, he, he sinned while he was in the womb? What? Which one sinned? Him or his parents? What a silly question. You see, they're trying to figure out the how. They're trying to figure out the why. He says, Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So what happens now is theologians take that one statement and they go and they run with it, trying to find out, trying to fill in the gaps of their own questions, fill in the gaps of their own wine. So some people will then teach that verse as saying that God put this in so that Jesus could come on the scene and look big. That's nonsense. He, that would be using the devil's tactics by God. It doesn't work like that. God doesn't put sickness on somebody just so he can heal them. That's silly stuff. Or he'll say that this was, it was left, it was left unhealed that Jesus could then come and do that. It's the same thing. You're still trying to attribute the, the devil's characteristics on a holy God. Jesus would then be do, undoing the works of his father. If the father did it, he would be undoing those works. It's, it's silliness. But here's what they're trying to figure out. He says in verse 3, It was neither that this man sinned, nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, those wording right there is really funny. I think the wording has is, is gotten off in our English from what the original language said. And I'll explain that in a minute. But then he says this, We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. So what he's saying is, I'm about to do the works of the one who sent me. And if he undid, if God the Father put the sickness on the man, then he would be undoing God's works, not doing God's works. See, right there, it contradicts that thinking. He says, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said this, he spat on the ground and made the clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. Now, look at this same verse in the message. The message in verse 3 says, because in verse 2 they said, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? In verse 3, I think the message does a good job of, of saying, making two statements specifically. He says this, Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You're asking the wrong questions. You're looking for someone to blame. There's no such cause and effect here. Look instead for what God can do. You're asking the wrong question. Instead, look at what God can do. Look for what God's up to. 
Let me say it like that. Look, when all the pressure's on and all hell's breaking loose, instead of looking back for who did this or who did that or how did this come into being, and and we do need to judge ourselves. We need to judge ourselves so that we're not judged, and that's a good thing to ask. But the biggest thing we need to get is that in the middle of the situation, God, what are you going to do? What are you going to do in the middle of this? When it feels like all hell's breaking loose, I know that you will be God. I know that you and your love will prevail. When we get under the pressure of all hell breaking loose and we start caving to the pressure instead of dealing with the illegalities that the devil's supposed to bring, we will then cave to that pressure. But if we will stand up and know that, all right, Lord, You're up to something here in this situation simply because I need you and you love me. So you're up to something. I know you well enough to know that if I'm in need, you're up to something. But see, what the devil wants to do is he wants to keep putting pressure on so that you stop thinking about what God's up to. And all you think about is the pressure on you. You notice under these situations, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll start to think, you know, well, how did this happen? What's going on? You know, when I hear stories about you coming under attack, I I immediately go, Lord, how can I stop this? Why? Because I love you. I don't want this. You know, when when you got in the accident, had the accident earlier this week. Oh, I got mad, mad. Ooh, I was upset at the devil. Why? And that's good. That's a good thing. That's what's brought about this message, part of it. But you're not the only one. Other people have had things too. But see, in the middle of that, we start to go inward focus instead of focusing on Jesus. And we miss the point because when we go inward focus, we start to cave to that pressure instead of focusing on him who then is allowed to come in and blow away the devil's plans. In these two different situations, scholars, a lot of times, they, they miss the point of this, I believe, because they're sitting there looking at these, trying to figure out what did God do? What did Jesus do? They're trying to figure out what do I need to repent from, you know, or else I'm going to hell. Oh, I'm such a bad, a bad sinner and everything, instead of paying attention to what Jesus is actually saying. Mankind saying this, Jesus, what? Why? The message says it great. You're asking the wrong question. You're asking the wrong question. What's God about to do? The question is this, and it's not to you from God. The question is from God to you. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? See, when all that pressure's on, you have to know, you know what? Just because I feel this does not change the character and nature of my God. Just because I feel the pressure or just because I'm going out, it doesn't change. You see, all of a sudden, let's say that you have somebody and they they come to Jesus and they're excited about the things of God. Come here, Rebecca. So let's say you got somebody. They're a new believer. Here you go. Right here. They're a new believer and they're walking along. And all of a sudden, Jesus visits their life and things are looking awesome right and they look they know everything's going to be okay 
They, they get born again. They're filled with the Holy Ghost. Things are happening at church. They feel God move on the inside of them and they start walking towards God. And they know if they'll just keep walking, they'll get to the places of God and they'll have intersections with his blessings and everything will be okay. But see, the devil knows that too. And you have an enemy that actually knows what he's been doing. He's been watching humanity for 6,000 years. He's like, don't let them start to build momentum. Don't let them get going fast. So back here, early on, he starts to spring stuff on them and see if they will react. Because he never wants them to get going with momentum. They never want, he never wants momentum to build. So he starts throwing things at them. And then here's the question. When you get to that place and the stuff starts springing on you and, and there's an accident and, and this bill. And, and all of a sudden you have to say, is that really what's going on? Or is God asking me the question in the middle of it? Do I need to answer a question? Maybe it's a question that's there for all time. Do I trust God? Do I trust him? Do you trust that he loves you bigger than the situation? Do you trust that he's got an answer larger than the mess? Do you trust that there's a relieving pressure that's greater than the, the pressure down on your shoulders? Do you trust that Jesus bore it all? Do you trust that? That's the question. Do you trust it? Thank you. The devil tries to disrupt Praise God for his mercy. Praise God that the devil's not allowed to do all that the devil wants to do. The word says this in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, you will not face something that you're not capable of through Christ. I'm paraphrasing. You won't face it. In other words, if I'm facing it, that means I can walk out of it victorious. Because God is always leading us to victory through Jesus. If I'm facing it, I can walk out victorious. If I'm facing it, I can walk out victorious. If I'm facing it through Jesus, I can walk out victorious. Say it with me. If I'm facing it, I can walk out victorious with Jesus. Now, is that real to you? How many would be honest to say sometimes that hasn't been real? Me too. And that's the revelation we've got to understand is, do we trust him? No matter what I feel, no matter what I see. Let's turn to Job chapter one. I promise you, because I know most of your stories, that none of us, have gone through what Job did. If I don't know your story that well and you have, then there's hope because there was hope for Job. Yep. But it says this, Job chapter 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men 
of the east. Job was wealthy. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them. Rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. So you see, part of the issue here that Job's having is he's fearing over his children. And in, that, in, that, in the middle of that, what he's doing is, in the middle of fearing over that, he's offering these sacrifices that weren't even required to be offered. The sacrifices were required once a year. He's doing them daily. There's a fear going on here. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And then Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? Now I want you to see here, you have blessed the work of his hand in his possession and have increased his land. Who's the one with that gave the hedge and who's the one that blessed and gave increase? God did. And could Satan touch it? No. When the hedge was there, Satan could not get through. I'm telling you, the blood of Jesus is a stronger hedge. The blood of Jesus. This is why God said, and Jesus prayed this, Jesus prayed and said that we would be kept from the evil one. This is how he can pray. No evil will befall you. It doesn't mean pressures won't come, but it means that in the midst of it, there's a way of escape that leads to triumph. Amen? In the midst of it, there's a way of escape that leads to triumph. He says, but put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Now on the day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. I alone have escaped. To tell you now, one of the things I want to point out here: Who did his servant say the fire came from? From God. But we know the conversation that happened between God and Satan. Who was the one doing the touching? Satan was. So the mindset of the servants in that time was that if anything happened, it was God. This is what they thought in Job's time. They didn't have the Bible like we have the Bible today. This is what they thought. And that's going to be important a little bit later because a lot of times people think still to this day that God did the touching on Job. He did not. 
It's amazing that we can still think that today. But it's, it's how many people, I know most people here have heard that, but in the majority of churches in America, they still think that God did this to Job. It's not the case. It's not the case. Same thing with Jesus earlier. It wasn't God that put that sickness on that blind man. Jesus came to set him free. He said, while he was still speaking, another came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, also another also came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell on the young people and they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Look. He's sitting there. Everything seems to be going fine. Pressure. Then another one comes to tell him news. Pressure. Then another one comes to tell him news. Pressure. Satan's piling on. All at one time. All the servants miraculously come at the same moment. It's not coincidence. You have to recognize what's going on. He says, be wise about the attacks of the enemy. Understand what he's trying to do. What is he trying to do to Job? Is he just trying to kill his family and steal his stuff? That's not the only thing. He's trying to crush Job. He's trying to get him to curse God. He's trying to get him to drop trust. To drop the trust. Then Job arose tore his robe, shaved his, shaved his head, and fell to the ground and worshiped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Now right there is a statement that people misquote, and they think that this is biblical. That was Job speaking because he thought that the Lord did everything. He thought that the Lord was in the giving and the taking away. And he wasn't. He was, he was in covenant with God. He was one of God's people. But he spoke wrongly here. But we, I mean, we even have songs that sing this wrongly. And, it's, and, and they need to go back and read the Bible. Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Now, I want to show you a picture of this. So here he is. All right, uh, give me four guys. Weren't there like four messengers there? Give me four guys real quick. So in this moment, you're good. Come on up, Nathan. Yep. So in this moment, here's Job standing there. And the first messenger comes and puts pressure on. First messenger puts pressure on. And then as soon as this messenger's done, the second messenger comes. As soon as that messenger's done, the third comes. And then the fourth. And these are not little messengers. These are your family's dead. All your, all your stuff is gone. You're wiped out, dude. In the Great Depression, this is the same thing that caused yep. people to jump out of buildings. Because of the pressure. But see, there's an easy way. To escape the pressure of the world. And that is in the middle of that. Lord all these things may be happening. But I. Look at verse 20. What's verse 20 say? In the middle 
of the worst news he could possibly hear. This was Job's response. And here was his escape. Father, I trust you. And I worship you. All these facts are still the same. But I need an escape. I worship you. And I trust you. And instantly, although he may still feel the pressure of that news, he broke the power of it because he said, I'll trust you. It's not what they said. It's not what he had done or not done. That's the wrong question. The question is, and always has been from the beginning of time. Children from the father. Do you trust me? If you'll trust me, I can set you free. Even in the Old Testament before Jesus, he fell to his knees and worshiped God. How can you worship God if you're not in trust? In all of this news, in all of these facts that the devil's trying to bring and bring the pressure of, how can you drop to your knees and worship God if you're not reaching out and by your actions and your thoughts and by your heart saying, Father, I don't know why, I don't know how, but I know this, you are trustworthy and I will trust you. Something at that moment rises up and brings a power that the devil's got no answer for. Will you trust him? Thank you, guys. And it's not over there. When you go into verse or chapter two and look at verse seven, because then the devil goes and now he's allowed to touch Job. And now he's just, he gets some sick and everything else. One more messenger. Here you are. Now you feel horrible. You ever been feeling sick and you don't even have the energy to get up and go get something to eat? Much less pray. Like I don't even feel like praying. Somebody needs to pray for me. Anybody ever felt that way? So now in the midst of all of that, here comes one more trying to deal the death blow to Job. Not only that, there's one that's personal. Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils and from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a potsherd to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. That had to be pleasant, huh? And in the midst of that, in the midst of that, his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Well, she was lovely. <laughs> In the midst of all those pressures, the one who should be his biggest support, the one that should be one with him, that if he falls to his knees and worships God and trusts God, she should be right beside him. The one, have you ever had, you know, see, here's the situation. What is it? It's the last stab. It's the one 
that the devil's trying to throw on. And he's trying to continue to pile on. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. In other words, what he's saying is, I don't understand this. He's sitting up here. He's had all these pressures. He's fallen to his knees. Lord, I'll trust you. In the middle of saying, see, most people think as soon as he drops to his knees and says, Lord, I'll trust you. Oh, everything is like this magic boom goes out from him and it handles everything. But then in the midst of on his knees worshiping God, all of a sudden now he gets smote with sickness. And then his wife is sitting over there like curse God and die. What a joy. But don't you see that in the middle of that, the question is still the same. Do you trust me? God's saying, do you trust me? And Job might not have his theology right. He thinks he's he's thinking God's doing all this stuff. And yet even in the middle of him thinking that God's doing all this stuff, he's saying, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. And this was the answer that brought about his salvation. See, a lot of times we make the decision to trust God and to worship God, but that's not the end of the adversity. And all of a sudden we turn around and it smacks us again. And that's when I get a phone call and, and people say, Pastor, I'm trying to believe. And, and then this other thing happened. I get it. I know. I've been there. We've been there multiple times. But if you'll listen to me, I'll tell you how to win. God's good. And while it might not feel like he's working on your behalf, I promise you he is. I promise you he's bringing out that thing. There may be things that you got to work out. There may be things that you're bearing the burdens of one another. It doesn't really matter the why that you're there. What matters is who is the who that lives within you. Who's the who that lives within you? Because now you have the Son of God. If you know Christ, and if you don't, you can know Him today. And all of a sudden, there will be a strength that rises up on the inside of you. When you start to find, Lord, I trust you. I will put praise on my lips no matter what I see, no matter what I feel. I know who you are. I know your goodness. I know your mercy. I know that you can uphold me. I know that you will set me free and move me to victory. I might have joy. Turkey co-workers. I might have a spouse that doesn't uphold me at all. But that doesn't change you. It doesn't change you. And when you get that in you, just me talking like that, something changes in your heart. Why? Because there's truth in it. And in the truth, if we will continue in it, it will set us free. All of a sudden, there's a hope that rises up. Can this be true? It is true. It's not, can it be true? It already is. And Jesus proved it when he died for you on the cross. And the power of God brought him back to life. And when it brought him back to life, it brought you back to life. It's already brought life to the pressurized situation. It's already brought life to the place where all hell's broken loose. The storm is swirling. The wind is blowing. People around you are flipping out. But inside of you, there's already a victory that's ready to bring peace to it. 
It's already in you. Jesus said, look, you're looking this place for the kingdom and that place for the kingdom. He says, the kingdom's within you. It's already here. It's stronger than what you think. You want to see a Messiah that rides in on a white horse and beats back the Romans. And you don't realize that the strength of who is on the scene now is stronger than 10,000 kings on a white horse. He is the king of all kings. 10,000 kings can line up against him and one word out of his mouth and he brings the victory. See, the key is the devil's just trying to add one more pressure to cause you to drop trust and then say things like this. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how we're going to make it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I can't. It's too much. It's too big. What's he doing? The pressure has moved you from trust to questions. And when the way of God is for us to give Christ entrance into our lives by our faith, when we move to questions, we drop the power. When we move to questions in our trust, we drop the power. But when we know that God is who he says he is and he will come through, everything changes. You see, this question of trust has been about, I said it at the beginning, it's been about since the beginning of time. Matter of fact, will you turn with me to the beginning of time? Genesis chapter 2. God created and... The world in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis 2, he gives us, he shows us how he created mankind. And he says this in verse 15 through 17. He says, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. How can we keep the things of God if we don't trust him? a powerful question. How can we keep and cultivate the things of God? Aren't we supposed to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness? That means to advance it and make it first. How can we cultivate and keep the kingdom in this earth if we don't trust him? If I go out trying to keep and cultivate the kingdom of God and I don't fully trust in God, the devil is going to eat my lunch. And has before. And he's eaten yours too. But the times of that are over. If you believe it, say amen. Amen. The times of that are over. Verse 16. Then the Lord God commanded the man saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. And then skip to chapter 3. And it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? 
The first thing he does is he comes in bringing questions. I just said you can't walk in questions and walk in the victory. The first thing he does is he comes in and he starts bringing it. And then the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the tree of the garden, we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. This shows you right here that they had not been meditating on God's word day and night so that their way would be made successful because God didn't say that. He said you shouldn't eat of it. But she goes ahead and she adds something. See, it's not the word in her heart. It's not the word in her mind. It's not solid. Already it opens the door for questions because she doesn't know what God said. She doesn't know the promises. He didn't say anything about touching it. He just said, don't eat it. And she goes, this is what God said. Don't eat it or don't touch it. It shows you right there. She already, see her and Adam, they already hadn't been making the, the word solid in their life. And what did it do? It's a great example of what not to do. They hadn't, they hadn't been meditating on the word and sitting on the word and digesting the word, digesting the promises, going back to it, reading it again and again and knowing what God said and who God is. And so the devil comes in, he asks one question, all of a sudden her heart fills with question. Oh my goodness, I don't know. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing what is good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her. And he ate. What was really happening here? The devil came about. He started asking questions. He put pressure on her. This God that you're worshiping, is he really who you think he is? And without question, they could stand in trust. But with question in their heart, Satan could immediately come to steal the word. And steal the victory. The same sin in the garden was going up to God and saying, Lord, I know you told me not to eat this fruit, but I don't trust you. And so when you're in the middle of all hell breaking loose and the devil's bringing pressure now because we're in a corrupted world. He is the God of this world. But you have an anointing on the inside of you that's different than Adam had. It's different than Job had. You have the blood of Jesus that has sealed you if you're born again that you can walk with. But in that same moment, he's trying the same tricks that worked 6,000 years ago. The same tricks that worked on Job. The same tricks that worked on the Pharisees. The same tricks that works on religion even to this day. Let me put pressure on them. Let me keep applying the pressure and let me get them to question and drop trust. That temptation to drop trust in the middle of all hell breaking loose is the same thing that Eve faced and Adam faced in the garden where the father put forth this question from the get go. Will you trust me? Do you trust me? 
And if we can get that set in our hearts, Lord, I trust you. Not only do I trust you, but I know because I've meditated on who Jesus is and who I am in Christ. I know who I am in you. I know the devil's got nothing for you and therefore he's got nothing for me. Lord, I trust you in the middle of it. No matter what, I don't care what may come hell or high water. I will drop to my knees in worship and praise. And I trust you. I don't care how many times it comes. You know, is it not enough that there were 10 different plagues that got them out of Egypt? It's like every one that I know the Israelites thought, well, maybe the next one, they'll let us go. 10 of them. Ten plagues before they let them go. And then they go and that's not enough. They get in between the rock and the hard place. They get in between the sea and the armies of Pharaoh coming against them. And then what's going on right there? The same attack against trust. Did you bring us out here in the desert to die? At least we would have lived in the bondage and the slavery of Egypt. You face that same question when the pressures of the world, when all hell's breaking loose. What's the devil trying to do? He's trying to get you to uh, fall to the pressure so that you'll go right back to the bondage outside of freedom. And the same thing says, and Moses in that moment, he says, look, the Lord that delivered us there will deliver us here. He'll deliver us. Moses is saying, I trust him. I know who he is. I know his character. I know his nature. He's a loving God to set us free. He will not leave us to die. I know his character. I know his nature. Now there's some people that are listening to this or watching this and you're saying, yeah, Brian, but you don't know how bad my condition is. I don't have to know how bad your condition is. I just have to know how big Jesus is. I just have to know that everything else, everything, everything will bow at the name of Jesus. There is nothing greater than him and his love. See right there by asking that question, what you're showing is the next round of pressure where you, the devil's trying to get you to focus on how big the disease is, how big the problem is, how big the family member is, how big the coworker, or how bad the boss is. He's trying to get you to focus on the size of the problem instead of the size of the love and mercy of God Almighty for you. He's trying to say... Will you question God? And God's saying, will you trust me? And if we will grab a hold of that trust and not let go of that trust, hope will start to rise up and hope in God. The word says it. It will not disappoint. It will not disappoint. It will not disappoint. So right now, just bow your heads. Father, we trust you today. We trust you today. No matter what we see, no matter what we face, we trust you. 
We will answer the question that has lingered from the time since time began. Will you trust me? We will answer that question. Yes, Lord, I trust you. What kind of love leaves heaven? What kind of love gives itself to die? What kind of love says you were helpless and sinners and enemies? What kind of love says, but I died for you anyway, and I'll do it again, and I'll give myself to you. I'll have mercy on you. What kind of love has mercy on the just and the unjust? What kind of love does that? Lord, I trust you. The devil may have been trying all kinds of things to try and push my buttons, to try and bring me some facts. But it's not truth. The truth will set me free. And the truth is that God loves me. Jesus died for me. The Holy Spirit will empower me. And we will walk out in the victory in Jesus' name. That's the truth. That's the truth. Father, we just praise you and we thank you. The same question is there for you right now. The Lord saying, will you trust me? Will you trust me? If right now you just, you know, Lord, I need, I need to renew my trust in you. Will you just raise your hand right now and just say, I need to renew my trust in you. I can tell that I've dropped trust. I can tell that I dropped it. I need to renew that trust. All things can be new today. Just keep your hands up for a second. Just saying, I, all things. I need to renew that trust today. I see those. Just everybody just pray this prayer right now. Just say, Father. Say it with your mouth. Don't say it in your head. Say, Father, right now, I renew my trust in you. Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. You're the director. You call the shots and I will follow. And as your word says, you will lead me always to victory. I trust you in that. I believe that you died for me when you took the weight of my sin on you. I was messed up and you took it on you and it killed you. And I believe, say it with me, I believe that God brought you back to life and raised you up from that grave. And when he raised you, he raised me. And now I'm seated with you, Jesus, in heavenly places. And no matter what I face, I will trust you. And I will not let it go. Just say it with me. Just say, Father, I trust you. Jesus, I trust you. Holy Spirit, I trust you. Jesus, I ask you to baptize me with the Holy Spirit and fire. 
Holy Spirit, I ask you to strengthen me that no matter what comes, I will trust you. Show me your ways, your love, your glory, and your power. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Now, if you prayed that today and you know, just keep your heads bowed. You know today I needed to pray that prayer. I needed to renew that trust. You may have raised your hand before, but I'd like for you to raise your hand again and say, I needed that prayer today. Just raise them up and let me see them. I needed that prayer today. I needed it. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Father, I just pray for everyone that prayed that and meant that with their heart that today, Lord, I just ask that you would meet them, that your strength and your love would manifest in their lives. Father, blow back the power of the enemy. Blow back the kingdom of darkness, Lord. Everything that may try to come, it will not befall them. Every fiery dart will be quenched. Every weapon will disintegrate that's formed against them. It shall not prosper. Father, I thank you for it. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God.